0: And the Lord said to her, "Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other; the elder shall serve the younger." Please pray with me. Father, we are gathered today in the name of Jesus Christ to declare his glory. And so, may all of our thoughts be your thoughts and all of our words be your words. Visit us with your spirit today. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, everyone. Some of you are probably a little bit confused. <laughs> if you haven't gotten to know me that much, my name is Zachary Miguel. Many of you probably know me by my last name. Um, and <clears throat> for those of you that I've had the pleasure of getting to know particularly well, You may know that this sermon is the capstone project for my time in the Cranmer Fellowship, what has been two years, of course, of ministerial training and personal discipleship from Pastor Nick, so don't let the absence of a funny collar or robes throw you off. I'm still under Nick's authority, and I'm still here to preach the same good news of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection for sinners like you and me. Uh, Specifically, we'll be looking at the Old Testament text today, and in it we'll see how God calls the unexpected for the purpose of his mission by faith in his covenant. I want to begin by talking about the first part of that statement, that God calls the unexpected. Jacob is by all means an unusual character for God's choosing in an ancient Near Eastern context. Imagine, he comes out of the womb later than Esau by only a tiny bit and is immediately destined by ancient custom to only get half of what Esau gets from their father and in their inheritance. More than likely, mere seconds have passed since Esau was born, and Jacob is immediately condemned to second place, out of two. Then, as they get older, Jacob would come to be even more of an underdog. Esau is a mighty hunter, a rugged man who's seen the world. He's traveling around the fields and hunting. And let's not even mention that Esau is clearly Isaac's favorite. No, Jacob is a quiet, modest homebody, A mama's boy who's been slated since before he came out of the womb to always be reaching for his older brother's achievements. Or so we would think. But as we'll see time and again in scripture, God loves to make big promises to those we least expect. And this is yet another instance of God's unusual calling. God loves to act in surprising ways and subvert expectations, bending our preconceived notions in order to show that it is not we who could offer anything to him, but it is only his mercy that can save sinners like you and me. This is a principle all throughout scripture. God brings his promise of salvation and redemption in Jesus Christ to the least likely candidates. Take for instance, Jesus's own ministry. While Israel sat waiting for a political Messiah who would come and take only the best of the Jews, only the best, and lead them forth into an unending kingdom Jesus was coming to have dinner with sinners, tax collectors, lepers, adulterers, and all other sorts of unseemly and unusual characters, to the point that some of Israel's own elites accused him of being a glutton and a drunkard, purely by association. You can see Matthew 11, verse 19 for that one. But the Jewish elites of the day should have known that this was exactly the character of God from the beginning. Indeed, all throughout the Old Testament, And even before this passage, early as it is in the Bible, God has been doing the unexpected. Let's take Adam and Eve, for example. From Adam's very inception, his creation, he was made out of the lowest stuff God possibly could have chosen to make man. I mean, dust? It's right there in Genesis 2. God has shown his love for the unusual by taking dust and shaping it into his own image, breathing life into it, and setting it above the rest of his creation as Adam, our own ancestor from there just moving forward a few chapters he took a moon worshiper named Abram gave him a new name new land and a son by his wife who had been barren for so many years that you'd laugh at me if I told you and you wouldn't be alone she did too she was 90 but even then God was choosing the unexpected and so it should come as no surprise here And later in the Old Testament, God would choose Moses, an Egyptian trust fund kid with a speech impediment, to be his mouthpiece, (laughs) leading his people out of Egypt and into a new national identity. This becomes particularly evident when God saves Gentiles. We can look at the stories of Ruth the Moabitess, or we can look at the Ninevites in in Jonah, or of a Gentile widow at Zarephath in 1 Kings. You can see this principle even in the New Testament after Jesus' resurrection when he chooses women to be the first to announce his resurrection. Or when the crowd at Pentecost in Acts 2 is shocked to hear uneducated fishermen speak with such eloquence about the gospel in all sorts of different languages. Or we can jump over to Acts 10 as God chooses to reconcile the Gentiles to him. Literally choosing a soldier in the army that was oppressing Israel. You see... Everywhere we turn in Scripture, God chooses the unexpected. And this is good news, because I think that many of us in this room have often felt as though we ourselves were the least expected to ever see redemption. In fact, under the massive standard that is the law, I think we might be somewhat remiss if we never felt this. Because deep down, upon hearing God's marching orders for the human race, None of us honestly feels as though we could ever accomplish all of it. Jesus said it himself. The standard is be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Matthew 5, right there, verse 48. Indeed, when we hear the simple 10 commandments and all that they imply, none of us really feels as though he could ever make it possibly, ever possibly make it into heaven. In fact, in Jesus' parable of the sheep and the goats, The sheep are every bit as confused as the goats are as to why they end up where they do. Heaven is going to be a place chock full of surprises. In fact, I imagine Mercy Me and their famous song, I Can Only Imagine, missed out on what's really going to happen for so many of us when we march into heaven's gates, carrying the cross of Jesus Christ as our only way to get in. So many of us are going to look at each other and say, wow, it really was that easy. And then the rest of us are probably going to look around at our neighbor and say, wow, what are you doing here? (laughs) Again, God is full of surprises when he calls us forward. And we may be surprised when we find that that person came to believe in Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross. We might be shocked when that person who hurt us, left us all those years ago, is right there next to us, singing God's praises for all eternity. We might be shocked when that person from that denomination That church, that ministry shows up. And I know more than a few people who will be shocked when that person on Twitter, whoever that person is for you, walks in and gives you the same look that you give them. (laughs) As we sing the first verse of our new Hallelujah song. Heaven will be a place full of rescued sinners of each and every stripe. Because God chooses unexpected people like Jacob, the weirdos of the world. Now, at this point, some of you are looking at me and saying, uh, that's great, Mr. Miguel, but I'm not unexpected, and that's the problem. You see, I'm the person everyone is expecting to go to heaven. I was born and raised in the church. And truth be told, it feels like everyone expects me to be saved but me. To the folks in the room of that disposition, I understand. And in many ways, I'm right there with you. But you see, it isn't on us to look for the unexpected, Because God chooses the unexpected as a way to show just how merciful he really is. Just when we think we have the pattern down, God goes and violates it. In the New Testament, we see how Jesus operates, spending time with tax collectors and sinners. And we think, that must be the rhythm of Jesus' ministry. But then, he goes and calls someone like St. Timothy, a young man who was faithful from childhood and raised by his honest, God-fearing mother and grandmother. We see him using uneducated hooligans like St. Peter or St. James or St. John to preach his gospel. And we think that he must only choose the uneducated. So those of us with degrees take them off the shelves and put them away. But then we get shocked when we read a little further in Acts. And God calls Saul of Tarsus, a man personally instructed in religion by one of the top rabbis in the world, and able to quote Greek poetry completely off the cuff. And God calls him into his fold and makes him a faithful evangelist. Indeed, right here in the story of Jacob and Esau, while the pair of brothers are still in the womb, God is doing his calling before they have anything unexpected to be. I mean, Jacob isn't even the youngest yet. You see, it isn't about you, even about how unexpected you are. Salvation is about the riches of God's mercy, and that mercy is big enough for you too. And that brings me to my second point. God calls the unexpected for the purpose of his mission. Now, it's important for us to remember where we are in God's big picture story, even when we read a story like this, because we can glean a lot from the relationship between the small stories in the Bible to the big cohesive story of the God who comes to us to seek and to save the lost. But this story takes place in the context of God's covenant with Israel. In fact, this very book, Genesis, is... Part of a five-book collection called the Torah, the covenant book which Israel would read from during worship. This is a book about God's covenant with Israel, which we now look back on in light of God's covenant with the church, ratified in Jesus Christ. And the difference here is that God has called Jacob to be the forefather of the Messiah, making Jacob's lineage and God's covenant with him the very means of his coming into the world in Jesus Christ, to forgive sinners. You see, God doesn't just take weirdos, the unexpected, like you and me, and save us from sin to put us on the shelf like an old high school football trophy, getting us out on the weekends to admire us sometimes, maybe showing us off to his buddies. No! God saves us and then goes out and puts us to good use as the very instruments through which he will bring Jesus Christ into the lives of sinners. And that's not a commandment. That's a promise. In saving you from sin and darkness, God will now weaponize you against all the forces of sin, death, and darkness and use you by his mercy to save lost sinners, just like you and me. Or he might use you to save sinners that are nothing like you and me. You see, God called Jacob as the means through which he would bring Christ into the world. But he didn't do so in order that Jacob would only save people like himself. No! Even in his earthly ministry, Jesus Christ was actively making contact with the least expected, the people who were completely different from him. It was him initiating contact with the Samaritan woman at that well in John chapter 4. And why? Because he came as the very instrument of God's mercy. And if we look back again right here at Genesis we'll see that God has been doing the same thing from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham, then still Abram, and he tells him this, quote, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. From the very beginning of this Abrahamic covenant, God has promised that he would bless Abraham in order that Abraham would become a vessel of blessing for the world. And immediately after the passage we have today, in 26, verse four, God says to Isaac, that's Jacob and Esau's father and Abraham's son, that all the nations of the earth shall gain blessing for themselves through your offspring. The very offspring that God himself had given him. In verse 21 of our passage today folks god has given us all that we need to be as instruments to share the gospel and he has done so by the gospel and if he was doing that through the covenant with israel how much more is he going to do that through the covenant he is already sealed with the blood of jesus christ and through the church that he's given his holy spirit to In our day and age, full of professional apologists, the exactly expected brilliant thinkers and preachers of our day, maybe the world could use a few weirdos that God has called to share the gospel. Eusebius, the church father, records a story of a brilliant pagan philosopher that bishops and priests had tried their hardest to win over to the gospel, but they were refuted and rejected at every turn. But then, Eusebius says, the most uneducated man in the church came and won him over with a simple, clear presentation, as good a witness of the gospel as any of the bishops had ever heard. Our two books of homilies, one of our Anglican formularies, which I would commend to you, comments on this story of Eusebius saying, quote, was this not a miraculous work that one seely soul of no learning should do that which many bishops of great knowledge and understanding were never able to bring to pass? End quote. Now, I'm not saying that none of us should be educated i'm saying the opposite i'm saying that none of us should live in fear over how to evangelize the world with this good news of christ jesus death and resurrection for sinners because god himself is the one true evangelist in the world who equips us with all that we need our master jesus christ says do not worry beforehand about what to say but say whatever is given to you in that hour for it is not you who speak but it is the holy spirit it's mark chapter 13. God chooses Jacob, the unexpected Jacob, to be the vessel through which he would bring Jesus Christ into the world, and he calls us in much the same way. So we've talked about what God is doing in this passage and a little bit about why God is doing it too. I want to finish off now by talking a little bit about how God is going to do it, which brings me to my third point. God chooses the unexpected for the purpose of his mission by faith in his covenant. The saying goes that actions speak louder than words. And so when we look at a text like this, which is a narrative, we need to look at the actions of some of the characters. And indeed, when we do, we find that neither Jacob nor Esau actually does that much in this story. As a matter of fact, we only see them each doing one thing and all in the last five verses of this passage, verses 29 through 34. Here, Jacob claims Esau's birthright, the senior membership in God's covenant family, the right to be the father of Israel. And he claims it from Esau with Esau's full and complete assent. In other words, while Esau sees no point in keeping his birthright, Jacob believes, clings to, and values God's promises. Jacob latches onto God's covenant and does not let go. Instead, Jacob trusts that what God has said to his fathers is true. And when the opportunity comes, he latches onto the covenant of God and holds onto it tightly. Friends, we too have a covenant with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Indeed, we too have a word from God, a promise that can never leave us. In a few moments after we've confessed our sins, Pastor Nick is going to look at us and declare to us exactly what God has said, That the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came to save sinners. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but will have eternal life. That if we come to him with our burdens, we can lay them down at Jesus' feet for rest. Then, after that, we will come to his table and have a simple family dinner just some bread and some wine. We will know, but just as surely as we have eaten the bread and drank the wine, that the cup of blessing which we bless is a sharing in the blood of Christ. And the bread that we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. That's just 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. If you are baptized, you can come to this table and you can come remembering the covenant that God made with you, that we have been buried with him by baptism, into death so that just as christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father so we too might walk in newness of life that's romans 6 you can remember that he has sprinkled clean water on us that we will be clean that he has given us a new heart and a new spirit That's ezekiel chapter 36 that we've been sealed with the holy spirit and marked as christ's own forever as the prayer book liturgy says if you are not baptized, I urge you, please seek out one of the men with the funny collars and robes and talk to them about how you can be welcomed into God's ever-expanding kingdom. Brothers and sisters, as Jacob clung tightly to the covenant and did not despise it, come with true faith to Jesus Christ and cling ever more tightly to his promises because he has done it all. Come although you did not expect him to call you. Come, though the whole world should laugh and say, do you really think that God would choose you? Come, for Christ Jesus himself has chosen the cross for our sakes, yours and mine. Come and be blessed that you yourself might be a blessing to this lost world. Come, beloved. Christ has said that it is accomplished. Thanks be to God. Amen.